When it comes to weight management, we tend to focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat. That's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up today. What is happening, everyone? Welcome to the On the Corner podcast. I am your host today, Anthony Tucker, and with me is the fantastic Nick Pollock. Nick, how we doing? What is happening? Fantastic is not the correct one, and that is the worst adjective I have heard And all of these. How dare you? Now, Anthony Tucker is here. Uh, you know Anthony Tucker, two-star pitchers. He's a manager of our baseball team. Uh, it's wonderful to have Anthony here, a very, very smart man uh, on our staff. Part of this mock draft series that we're doing, we're going to talk about his team and so much more. But before we get to all of that, first, Anthony, tell us everything that people should know about you and where to follow you. Thanks, Nick. Yeah. Uh, so this is the my second year uh, over at PitcherList. Been doing the two star pitcher articles uh, both year, uh, both seasons of PitcherList and uh, helping out in this off season with some content as well. Um, you can find me on Twitter at uh, Anthony Tucker 81. All right. Well, make sure you guys do that. And we're going to jump in here. You are the eighth pick in this draft. Uh, did you want to be the eighth pick? Was this a, a, a choice of yours that you wanted to make or was it actually just forced upon you? Yeah, I think just generally speaking in drafts, I like to be around the middle because mm-hmm. I feel like there's more flexibility to pivot when there's different like positional runs or you have a grouping of players where you say you might want, you know, the the final player in a tier, or you might want to, you know, just have the flexibility to move around throughout the draft. So anywhere really between that, like five to eight, five to nine range, I, I think mm-hmm. is is uh, really where I do best. So I was happy to get the eighth pick. Yeah, and remember everybody listening, it's Yahoo standard twenty three roster uh, team five by five head to head matchups. Otani's two different players. You have two utility, three outfielder, no middle infield, no corner infield, nine pitchers. If you hate it, well, this is what the standard is. And from this is where everybody builds their foundation um, of analysis um, and you adapt from there. So it's what we instruct our staff to do. It's what our fantasy leagues are so that everybody has that platform to understand where to build off of when talking about fantasy. And we're going to go here. So eighth pick. We saw Jose Ramirez, Ronald Acuna Jr., Trey Turner, Aaron Judge, Julio Rodriguez, Kyle Tucker, Mookie Betts, all off the board. Were you aiming for one of those instead and you were sad they didn't fall? Or were you just thrilled to get Jordan Alvarez? I was pretty happy about Jordan Alvarez. I was fairly certain most of these guys would be gone. Um, but just the the safety in four different categories that that Jordan provides I think uh didn't have me too disappointed uh when he was there with the eighth pick uh so it it wasn't much of a surprise that he was still there at eight um and I did kind of go back and forth with is this where I should go with uh Juan Soto or Mike Trout um even considered Vlad Guerrero um just 
the the types of guys that can fill four categories reliably for you uh, was really what I was looking for there. All right. Yeah. I mean, first in hard contact at 39.6% in the majors, 37 home runs, 95 runs, 97 RBI, 308 average, just one stolen base, 246 in the majors. Uh, 407 OBP is second best among all in baseball, third in slugging at 616 as well. I mean, we know the guy can hit. Uh, the question is 135 games this past year, 144 in 2021. You're going to likely have to deal with some sort of injury question or missing some playing time from Jordan Alvarez. Do you care much about that? Yeah, I think the if I were to go with Juan Soto, um, that he would have been my maybe my backup pick. That would have been the reason why. Um, but even with those injury concerns, like you look at Jordan Alvarez's player page, and it's just entirely red except for the stolen base, uh, yeah, that lone there, stolen yeah. base. <laughs> um, and you just look at that, and it, it kind of took the whole decision away from me. I knew I, I knew how to make the move there. Um, you know. Injury is definitely a concern with him with the knee issues. Um, but in a categories league, you know, you can get, you know, a near 300 average and potentially like a 50 home run season willing to roll the dice a bit, uh, especially in a 12 teamer where, um, you know, there's a little bit more room on the waiver wire for replacement level value uh, than a 15 teamer. Sure. Um, well, moving on to your next pick then. Um, second round, you went and got Manny Machado, 32 home runs, 100 runs, 102 RBI, nine stolen bases, 298 average, and of course a third base, which is a huge deal considering there aren't that many amazing third basemen, especially in the middle or end of the draft. What drew you to go after Manny Machado here? Yeah, for me, it was really the positional value of, of mm-hmm. getting my third baseman locked down really early. Um, I, I think it's probably near consensus that the third base is probably the position with the least elite elite talent. I mean, second base is right there. there second with base it. And, and third base are, yeah, are the two. Mookie Betts still at second base, by the way. Which oh, wow. I did not realize he'd have second base eligibility next year. Yeah, um, for Yahoo Leagues, he does have it. Yeah, and that's you know that's a differentiator there. Um, you know, given that I might have taken Mookie in the first if he was there. Um, right. It was taken right before you. Yes, uh, taken pick. right before me. Yeah, seven games at second base. So like Yahoo, sorry, Yahoo gets it at five. ESPN, CBS, Fan Tracks likely not. So keep that in mind for Mookie Betts. That's good to know. Um, it, you know, similar to that that second base question, Manny Machado at third base, it really does fall off after that top three. Yeah. Um, so Devers, Machado and Riley Ice. Oh, and also uh, Jose Ramirez. So I guess four or so is what you mean. Yeah. Um, yeah. Four um, was not ready to take a second baseman. Um, so I, I knew that if I wanted to to get in on one of the most shallow positions, it was, you know, Manny Machado or bust there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's the power speed blend of Shohei Otani going right after him. And I was really tempted there. Also tempted by you know Bryce Harper, Paul Goldschmidt, but um, I just didn't want to wait and see what would come around in a, a few rounds at third base uh, if I didn't go Machado there. And he'll chip in a few steals. Um, I don't know, you know, if it'll be much more than ten, um, even with the you know the the new rules and the larger mm-hmm. bases. But I think he's probably pretty safe for eight to ten bags. Which if you can kind of get a collection of those types of guys, you're you're doing okay in steals. Sure. I mean, I'm assuming that Arenado for you might be a little bit on the outs of those four just because also third round comes and theoretically you could have gotten Arenado there. 
Yeah, I think Arenado's a little bit out of you know off my radar in, in terms of the first three rounds. Mm-hmm. Um, just looking at the hitters, and obviously you know he might finish top three in the NL MVP. So uh, you know there's nothing wrong with selecting Nolan Arenado. Um, but I, I think the way I kind of saw the draft board was, um, you know, I, I didn't really want to, you know, kind of reach for or what I consider to be a reach for Arenado, um, you know, at my third pick when I saw the, you know, the eventual pitchers that would come off the board. Um, and I think the gap between Machado, uh, Devers, and then, you know, Arenado below them was worth, you know, making the jump for the third baseman in the second round. Sure. Uh, so, I mean, I think Machado is a stellar pick in the second round as well. Um, I was actually upset about it and took Elson Riley later and wanting Machado two picks later because of that third base hole that I was, and I was kind of hoping Altuve would fall one more, but didn't happen. And uh, so third round comes Cole Burns, McClanahan, DeGrom, Scherzer, Alcantara, Arias, all off the board. And so you went with Zach Wheeler. Why Wheeler? I did. Um, I guess I went pitcher partly because, um, you know, that run on starting pitchers uh, right beforehand really kind of felt like it had me on the, on the ropes a little bit. Uh, I mm-hmm. think I walked in thinking I'd wait on taking a pitcher until maybe round four or five. Uh, but I did get a little fear missing out there as they, they flew off the board. Um, the thing about Wheeler is just, and it's kind of funny to say when you think about what he had done the past few, like, you know, the say four or five years ago is that he's kind of been that measure of consistency uh three seasons with an era under three and he you know he has that strikeout rate that we've been waiting for now um he's done that two years in a row and he just has become this very safe pitching option who you can kind of really rely on as an ace um you know i just i looked around you know justin verlander went one pick after dylan cease um a, a few picks after that um and I think the safety that Wheeler provides uh, just in comparison to, to those two arms is, um, you know, is really the the difference maker and why I went with Wheeler amongst uh, some quality pitchers that went after him. Zach Wheeler had a 52% O swing on his sinker guys. 52%. No one is even close to matching that. And he had a 72% strike rate. I mean, 73% striker with the pitch. It's just, ah, it's bliss. It's plus the only question really 153 innings this year. He entered the year with that shoulder question. And then, uh, then later on, um, he had, of course the elbow stuff. And then there's the question if he was hurt or not in the world series. So I think there's more risk at the moment, at least perceived risk from Zach Wheeler right now. And that likely will have him not sitting here and probably some, a few picks later, um, come March, I want to jump on this. It's just a injury question at this point. I mean, Zach Wheeler is a volume guy inherently. 213 in 2021, 153 this past year. When he pitches, he goes deep into games, of course. Um, it's uh, a six innings per game this year, 6.7 last year. I, I love Zach Wheeler. I think he's wonderful. I don't know how I feel about predicting health. I mean, popped. he was hitting 99 in the last game of the World Series, but he got pulled to 70 pitches, and I still hate everything about that. Um, so we'll see. You're going to see some fluctuations on Zach Wheeler. You might be able to get him at a discount because of it, and it might pay off. It's just perceived risk, uh, and uh, we'll see how that shapes up. Um, Corey Seager, fourth round. I, I love this. This is a uh, the, the the elite shortstops are gone at this point. Lindor, Tatis Jr., Bichette, and 
uh, Bobby Witt are off the board. And this the crop of Seeger, Xander Bogarts, Tim Anderson, O'Neill Cruz, Dansby Swanson, Willie Damas. I feel like Seeger is the far and ahead uh, name of the pack there. Yeah, um, I, I think, you know, looking at my team, if I had to pick one pick that might have been my favorite, it might have been Corey Seeger. Um, mm. I've always been pretty high on Seeger. Um, he's really kind of the the picture of how I built my team in that a lot of hard contact um, and he doesn't really run a lot um, and not, you know, I'm not intentionally not picking steals, but I'm really looking in the early rounds for the the best hitters that I can find. Um, and, you know, looking around the picks, I'm not really sure where I would have gone otherwise had I waited um, just because I, I valued Seager so much farther ahead of, of the, you know, the other players in that, that range. Um, you know, he doesn't give me anything in the way of steals, but he's coming off a career year in homers, runs, and RBI. Uh, and he definitely appears to be one of, if not the biggest beneficiaries of the shift ban. Uh, mm. So I'm hoping I get yeah. something a bit closer to that 287 career average than 2022's 245. Um, you know, I admittedly don't know how much the shift ban will change batting lines overall. But Seager's just one of the best hitters in baseball regardless. Um, you know, if the Rangers continue to upgrade their lineup this season, uh, or this offseason, I should say, I, I don't know that it's really off the table that he couldn't crack, you know, either 100 runs or RBI. Uh, so getting that at the shortstop position when all of the, you know, the, the most upper echelon names are off the board, I, I think there's some value in that. I mean, look, he increased his fly ball rate by six points, yet his homework fly ball rate was exactly the same. That's where the home runs came from. It's good to see increased pull rate um, by about eight ticks, which is also pretty dang impressive. Uh, it's good to see that from uh, from Corey Seager. Um, exit velocity on fly balls was essentially the same, 92.5. But keep in mind, 87 is the average for fly ball exit velocity. That's a good thing to see as well. Yeah, Corey Seager, I really like this pick. Uh, fourth round, if I don't have a shortstop yet. I'm hoping to get Corey Seager. I actually think, again, was considering Seager uh, with Semyon and Albies at this point because I figured I needed shortstop or second base. You went Seager. I said, fine, I'll get Semyon. Uh, Luis Castillo, fifth round. Um, that is your second starter in the first five picks. Were you planning on doing that? It didn't sound like you were before, but I guess you just couldn't deny Luis Castillo at the fifth round. Yeah, I... I think I, I went with Luis Castillo because I was able to get my third baseman in shortstop. Um, already had one outfielder. It just felt like this was a good time to, you know, be able to get my second pitcher and then kind of work from there, knowing I had two guys who could be potential uh, aces for me. Um, you know, obviously the arrow with Castillo is, is pointing up. Um, some of it might be a little recency bias from when we were drafting and just the run Castillo went on for the, um, you know, for the Mariners at the end of the season. But, you know, he's coming off a career year and he's going to have a full season uh, moving from one of the toughest pitchers parks to perhaps the best. Um, and I think, you know, this is more anecdotal than anything, but I think in addition to the change in park, I don't know that it was really discussed enough when Castillo was in Cincinnati, um, you know, just how bad the defense was around him. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, him moving away, uh, him being a ground ball pitcher, especially moving away from an infield that, you know, was, you know, trying Eugenio Suarez at, at shortstop, um, you know, 
just mixing and matching Mike Moustakis at second base uh, for years while he was in Cincinnati. Uh, I think just that in and of itself uh, will be helpful for him uh, in addition to that home park. Um, was also um, you know, pretty happy to see how he was able to get his walk rate back down this year. Um, you know, I, I think that's always um, you know, been something you want to see with Castillo. Um, the only thing that had me a little hesitant on him was going back to that shift ban. And I just don't know, like, how does that impact ground ball pitchers? Uh, would, you know, be curious to hear your thoughts on it. But that was one thing that I, I was like, is if there is a, uh, you know, an archetype of pitcher that might be, you know, negatively impacted by the shift ban, is it someone like Castillo? Oh, that's an interesting idea. Uh, I, I would think to your point about the Reds versus Mariners, though, if you look at the full season of, of Babbitt, if you want to be as, as simple and shallow as that, yeah, that should. All right. So let's say it's the Mariners for the full year. And then, but the shift ban, I mean, 276 this past year, Babbitt, 108 whip, Hipper 9 was down to 7.1 instead of 8.7 for Castillo in 2021. Whatever you want to say about the shift and negatively impacting it, the move to Seattle, I think, is more. So. I'm just kind of shrugging with it. Uh, it. It's hard to tell also if you're going, if it's going to be a major difference. I mean, you're still going to see a shift. It's just not as an aggressive mm-hmm. shift or as aggressive. Like ground balls up the middle. You're still going to have the shortstop there. Uh, you know, along those lines, you might even have guys as the pitch is thrown going to their left side and trying to get it over the bag after the pitch is released. Um, so it, it's not that huge of a deal in my head. Um, for ground ball pitchers. It's an interesting thought, though, and I'm not going to change my attack on starters based on it, though. Um, now, about Castillo, creases velocity on his four-seamer, which is really nice to see. Uh, actually, more so, less, less velocity, I shouldn't say that, more usage going up to 33%. Swing strike rate went up to 17% on the pitch uh, instead of 13% in 2021 on Castillo's four-seamer. Love to see it. Moved a little bit away from the sinker when he became a mariner. More reliance on the slider. Fewer changeups. The changeup was not elite. If you think about this pitch in the past of being this um, massive 24, 26% swing strike rate pitch, 14% in 2022. And I'm thinking because of the emphasis on the four-seamer going upstairs, I think it actually messed up the pronation on his changeup a bit. That's my theory. There's a thought that, okay, they know about this. Off-season with Seattle, they say, hey, cool, we want that four-seamer, but let's try and fix that change. Change-up returns, slider's still great, four-seamer's great. You may even see the best Luis Castillo next year. I don't know. Just an idea. Just throwing <laughs> random thoughts around, um, but that's one of them. Anyway, fifth round, you're getting a guy that has 200 strikeouts. Yeah. Uh, he, I mean, 197 last year, but it's only 150 innings. He should be pushing 200 strikeouts for a good team, so he'll get wins. It should be good ratios for the most part. It might be a little bit inconsistent at first, but I think this is a solid pick fifth round. I'd be stoked if I got Luis Castillo then. I mean, I got Aaron Nola, but I probably would have gotten Luis Castillo if I couldn't get Aaron Nola. Yeah, I think best of all, he doesn't have to pitch in Cincinnati in April. Um, yeah. And oh, we, yeah, we, know how, we know the issue that that's been to his ratios overall mm. uh, throughout the last couple of seasons. Um, so, you know, even if he kind of just continues on the the way he's he was in Cincinnati from you know May or June onwards and we can expect that for a full year in Seattle I I just I think there is uh, a lot of value there that's a good point uh sixth round you went and got a catcher 
You went and got Will Smith. Why did you go Will Smith instead of Adley Rutschman? Yeah, I, I think obviously, you know, JT uh, Real Muto is likely the consensus top catcher on off the board with the steals potential. Um, I've always been, uh, you know, high on Will Smith just because of the level of consistency he provides. Um, I, I think I was really a coin flip between Adley and Will Smith. And um, I, I think a lot of people would have gone, um, gone with Adley, but I, I just think that level of, you know, 20 to 25 homers of production that he's provided year in and year out um, just had me, you know, willing to potentially, you know, take a little bit of a loss compared to Adley, but just knowing that there's like the safety in Will Smith. Um, I, I, you know, it would not be surprising for me for, you know, through the end of 2023, if, you know, Adley is the, you know, the number one catcher off the board following this year. Uh, but just pretty much, you know, year in and year out, knowing what you're going to get from Will Smith, um, yeah, over a full season was enough to just uh, take the safe way out on this pick. Yeah, no, I get that. 578 plate appearances last year from Will Smith. Translates to 87 RBIs, 24 home runs, 68 runs. He's batting fourth for the Dodgers. That's good. Mm-hmm. You want to be there. That's That means the RBI totals are still going to be up. Uh, 260 average. It's, it's safer than Adley. And I completely get that completely. There's not much more to be said there. I mean, Will Smith should be going around this point. Uh, am I going to go Adley or Will Smith? Ah, I might actually side with you and go Will Smith and, and get the safe hitter. Yeah, um, I, I will say I'm having some second thoughts on this pick, even though I do. I really like Will Smith. But just seeing everyone else's draft and seeing how deep catcher is. Catcher uh, is a top 12. This year, yeah. um, I think, you know, going through drafts last year and knowing I wanted kind of one of the the you know, whoever kind of fell between Romuto and Will Smith after Sal Perez went, I think I was still kind of in that mindset. And then seeing, you know, some of like where like, I don't know, Will, Wilson Contreras went um, or, you know, guys like that um, went rounds and rounds later and I would have been perfectly content with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think this was a good exercise in, you know, understanding like maybe you don't have to like jump to get your catcher this year. You can kind of sit back and wait to, to see where it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, so if you didn't go Will Smith, who would you have rather drafted instead? I would probably have. That's a good question. I would say for you, honestly, Hendricks or Diaz um, as a closer. (laughs) I because I'm not seeing too many other breakpoints at this point um, for for a position player. Uh, Yeah, really. I might have went second base, maybe, but not really. Uh, you could say you Darvish, you can make an argument for, or Gosman. Yeah, I, I was looking at Springer around this mm-hmm. point. Um, he could have been where I went. Um, you know, just sitting atop Toronto's uh, really powerful offense with all the the counting stats that he'll provide. Um, but you know, to your point, that was part of the reason why I went with Will Smith. Is it just feel it felt like a, a time, and I, I don't typically invest highly in closers. Um, it, it felt like a time that it might have made sense to go and get the catcher that that I liked instead of just waiting to whoever came to me. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, you were the man who went after Buxton in the seventh round. I did. All right. Explain yourself. I did. Um, I think this is entirely league size dependent. Um, so, you know, as you, you mentioned at the top of the show, uh, we're in a three catcher, um, a three catcher cat- head to head categories league. Um, and 
with three outfielders, um, you can take a lot more risks and the, the replacement level, you know, if, and when Buxton gets hurt is a lot higher. Um, so, you know, the, I think the injury concern is kind of tantamount for everyone. Um, that's the, the thing we know about Buxton. Um, but I, I'm not super concerned, especially if this is a league with IL spots, but even if it isn't, um, you know, there is some, some high replacement value. Uh, I am a bit concerned that the strikeout rate, uh, jumped back up to 30% in his, uh, you know, 92 game season. Uh, but the power speed upside around pick 80 felt worth it. And, you know, when I look at my team, I'm pretty, pretty short in stolen bases. And I know he didn't really, you know, he only stole six bags last year. Um, but maybe entering the year healthy and the larger bags, maybe that inspires him to get back to that like 15 steel, 15, yeah. 20 steel plateau. I think that's a huge leap to take. Um, but I think even if he doesn't steal bases, um, you know, he does have like a Kyle Schwarber level power profile. Um, so I think there's just so many ways this this could go. There's so many outcomes, wide range for Buxton, uh, but willing to take a chance that after all these years, this is the year it finally hits over a full season. Right. Yeah. No, <laughs> it's Buxton. It's Buxton. Yeah. What well, can go wrong? Will, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bucks, Byron Murphy Buxton. Um, I, I mean, I understand the ceiling. I remember even this year we're talking to April saying, Oh my God, he's like the best player ever. All of these things. And he just gets hurt. And there you go. It goes South after that. I, I just had 28 home runs in 92 games. That's insane. That's insane. Ah, we all just want him to, to be healthy. It's just all we want. Oh man. But yeah, 28 home runs in 98 games. Ah, all right. Well, I'm not going to play the game because it's a headache and a terror every time. But um, I hope it works out for you. And eighth round, we're going to talk about a a, a player is going to be debated constantly this offseason. And we'll talk about him after this break. Fads come and go and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom has created weight management programs that are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. So stop chasing health trends and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. So we're going to talk about Tyler Glass now now. That's yeah, I'm not a stutterer, I promise you. Uh, eighth round, and you, you turn down Severino, Cortez, Kyle Wright, Robbie Ray, Forever Valdez, Tristan McKenzie to go after Tyler Glass now. The biggest question how many innings are you going to get from Tyler Glass now? What made you go after him in the eighth? Um, 
I think first and foremost is my inability to really truly like put the like value on the injury risk because my rotation has quite a bit of it. Um, so I think I was probably a little less scared about the, the innings risk that glass now provides. And it was just kind of blinded by all of the upside that we've seen. Um, you know, he'll be over a year and a half post Tommy John surgery by opening day. And, you know, I walked in knowing that he's going to be handled cautiously by the Rays, but that additional time and how he looked in the playoffs against Cleveland, I I think it creates a lot of confidence for me in his effectiveness moving forward. Um, So I think at worst, I'm getting a high strikeout rate, probably really good ratios, um, but, you know, an innings limit. Um, I I think that innings estimate does create enough uncertainty where I at least considered some safer options. Um, You know, maybe doesn't have the upside, but, would give me closer to, you know, say 160, 170 innings. Um, But, you know, given that this was a 12 teamer and that you can always find quality pitchers early in the season that, that don't get drafted. I said, you know, let me go out and and get the guy that I think is the highest upside. Um, I did consider Severino Um, the pick before when I went with Buxton, I had considered going glass now Severino back to back. Um, and then, you know, when I went with Buxton, I knew I was going to have to choose between Seve and glass now. Um, and, and I ended up going with glass now. Um, but I, I think I would have been happy with either of those. Um, you know, Tristan McKenzie was still on the board. Robbie Ray was still on the board. Uh, so there's still definitely a uh, Framber, Framber Valdez was still on the board. Uh, so a lot of quality pitchers still there. Uh, but I, I think you have like, potential SP one upside, uh, albeit in limited, uh, uh, limited innings with glass now. Sure. I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, he hasn't pitched hundred innings since 2018. Now that's not quite fair because it was 57 and 11 starts in 2020. And then he was pitching healthy in 2021 until the new, you know, the lack of sticky stuff. And then all of a sudden you got Tommy John. Oh, you just don't know. You don't know what he's going to look like now. Is his command going to be completely gone? Is he going to be all these things? I mean, I will say he came back. He threw some very short games uh, of uh, three innings and three and two thirds for the Rays. Glasnow was throwing 97.4. That was along the same lines of what we saw before. Uh, He couldn't throw this curveball for a strike. Um, I don't know. I I mean, it, it felt like it was Glasnow. What I did see, I was like, yeah, this is Tyler Glass now. Is he going to be fine for a lot of next year? Maybe. <laughs> That's all we can hope. Um, yeah, it's it's going to go back and forth. He could just be amazing and everyone's happy. Uh, this could be finally the year where he's just fully healthy through the year. You can't bank on it. If As your third starter, fine. If this is your first or second, I would feel a lot more worried about it. Um, I would try to focus on getting more guaranteed volume, I think. Severino, you can make an argument that he hasn't had that for a while, and I get that. Um, I hate guessing innings. Innings, guessing innings is the worst thing about the offseason. It is the worst. You're going to see Glasnow go around this way. It's up to you if you want to take the chance. I'm going to stop talking about him. Max Muncy, ninth round. And you want to talk about a guy bouncing back? Well, he's got to get better than a 196 average, right? It can't get worse. Or maybe it, it can. And, and, <laughs> and this, is a, this is a very poor pick. <laughs> 192 in 2020. Yeah. You know, this is actually one of the picks that 
I think I wish I had back. And then I just waited and saw if he was around a, a few rounds later. Um, and if he wasn't, I could have went with, you know, Jonathan India or Gleyber Torres, even Cattell Marte. Um, partially wish I had back this pick because it was probably that last point in the draft round nine where you can get like a, you can lock up a high end save source. Um, you know, I, I believe Josh Hader was still on the board at this point. Um, but I, I saw where second base was and, um, you know, had in my head a little bit, the shift ban again, uh, like Corey Seager, uh, maybe helps Muncie get that average, you know, it, it won't be a, a great average, but, um, better than the, the, the 196 he did have, uh, this season. Um, so that, that's really why I, I went with Muncie here. I know WRC plus doesn't win you fantasy leagues and it's, you know, largely driven by his walks, which wouldn't help in this format, but he was a 25% above league average in the second half. Uh, he had seven home runs with a 261 average in August. Um, I, I just think if some of those hard hit line drives, uh, you know, start to fall for him, um, you know, without someone standing in shallow right field, I, I think he'll uh, have a little bit of a bounce back. Um, I, I think also it's really hard to say how much his elbow injury did or did not impact his really, really brutal start to the, the uh, season. Um, his, hard hit, his hard hit rate was 10 percentage points higher in the second half. Um, so that gives me a little bit of, uh, you know, room to, for enthusiasm that, that maybe Muncie gets back to, to what we saw in, in prior years. It's pretty wild to see a guy with a 16% walk rate that is second best in the majors have just a 329 OVP. And, and keep in mind that for fantasy purposes, walks aren't the best. Nope. <laughs> uh, I mean, they, they help with runs, but they don't give you home runs. They don't give you RBI. They don't help with average. They maybe help with stolen bases too, but he only had two of them. So that's a plate appearance that he's not getting a hit that you need. Um, Yeah, it's, uh, it's not a great situation at the moment. He was hitting around fifth in that Dodgers lineup by the end of the year. Uh, we'll see if... You know, we see him jump up and have a good breakout in the spring. Maybe that elbow injury, as you mentioned, was affecting him more still. And maybe he's recovered from that. I don't know. But I think I agree with you that uh, months, this Muncie pick, probably not the one that you'd be going for in retrospect. Um, tenth round, you need another starter, clearly. Always. And uh, you went with Logan Webb. Uh, other guys in this range um, after Logan Gilbert, Chris Bassett, Freddie Peralta, Tony Gonsolin, John Gray, Jesus Lazardo. Talk to me about Logan Webb. Yeah, I, I think what I wanted here was um, a degree of like safety and consistency. And I kind of view Webb in conjunction with Tyler Glass now as, you know, Glass now being the, you know, the high upside and Webb hopefully delivering like start over start consistency. Um, you know, Webb did have a 1.16 whip uh, this past season, um, which I, I think is part of the reason why he's falling a bit from where he was going last year. But I do, you know, I do expect that to improve at least a little bit. Um, he's had a low walk rate at around 6% each of the last two years. So he's not offering many free passes, um, but I think a lot of my assumption here comes with the hope. Um, I know we're early in the offseason here, but the hope that the Giants improve their team defense because it really can't get much worse than they were uh, this past year. Uh, he didn't have a high Babbitt, but my expectation is if they improve their defense just a little bit, 
um, you know, up the middle that they can maybe steal a few more would be base hits. Yeah, I, I mean, there's a lot to say about Webb. Obviously, the strikeout rate went down. I uh, twenty point seven percent, not the twenty six twenty seven percent we saw in two thousand twenty one. That's a product of his slider going from a twenty two percent swing strike rate to a thirteen percent. That's a huge deal uh, for Logan Webb. Also, the sinker. Sinker is very interesting to me. It is, I believe, the number one called strike pitch in the majors at 31% uh, called strikes on the sinker, which is insane. No, it's no fastball, I don't, I don't believe, um, that qualifies is has a higher one. Now, it had a 38% hard contact rate. So all at-bats, all, all plate appearances that ended with the sinker, uh, 38% of them were hit hard. However, just a 10% fly ball rate. So uh, the, the, the Giants defense did him no favors. Uh, the Babbitt was 363 because of all of those grounders and they were hit hard. And the Giants defense could not handle that. They were surprisingly bad in their infield defense this year. Brandon Crawford was way worse. Everyone else not very good. Hopefully that gets better for them. And if that gets better for them, maybe that 8.2 hip or 9 goes down for Logan Webb. You were talking about the shift before. Maybe that gets nullified. Uh, in my head, it's a bet on, all right, is the slider going to be a bigger whiff pitch or not? And I don't know if I do. I felt like it wasn't, I don't know. I felt like it was kind of the same. And he was overperforming with it in 2021. Uh, O-swing on it dropped 12 points, if you can believe it. Um, 44 to 32. <sighs> I don't know. At the same time, I say all these bad things, and what did he have? A 290 array. <laughs> a, a 116 whip, 21% K rate, 192 innings, right? So Logan Webb, you kind of feel like this is what he is in many ways. The ERA maybe gets worse uh, as the left on base rate. I mean, honestly, now I can't even say that. Uh, yeah, this is kind of who he is. And yeah, Logan Webb is uh, is good. He's fine. He's safe in this point. You got your number three starter. You're going to start him every game and hope that the slider gets better. I mean, yeah. it's really, really, that's about it. And also that that infield defense, please improve for the sake of Logan Webb. <laughs> yeah, I look at the pitchers around him and this is kind of the point where they all have their warts in, in one way or another. Yeah. Um, so especially you know now he's my my fourth starting pitcher um felt like there's um you know at least kind of some some depth there with logan webb um but i know george kirby went a couple of picks before and i, I think that's where i i go if if kirby's still on the board at yeah that point. kirby i think is a better version of logan webb with a 16 percent swing strike right on his four seamer oh it's so good and i and i have some faith that kirby can improve with the secondaries um, I may consider Chris Bassett or Logan Gilbert, but those are the other two, really. Um, Logan Webb is a safe one. He's You just hope that you get more strikeouts from closer to 25% than 20% in 2023. Uh, Brian Reynolds is next. Uh, I noticed I haven't given you a silver approval, and I meant to, by the way, for Luis Castillo <laughs> in the fifth round, just so you know. Nice. Got my seal um, of approval. <laughs> that That is very much deserving of a seal of approval. T- kind of tempted for Corey Seager, but no. Can't do that one. Um, I see it one at least moving forward, so don't worry. Nice. Um, Brian Reynolds, though. Let's talk about him in the 11th round. Uh, you only have one outfielder, and it's Brian Buxton, Byron Buxton. I imagine 
you felt a little bit of the pressure to fill out your outfield. Yeah, well, so Jordan should have outfield. Oh, we'll I see have, Jordan. Okay. Yep, we'll, we'll have some outfield eligibility next year. Um, so he he ends up being my third outfielder. Um, you know, he's had years where he's had high averages. He's had a couple years with some high power output. Um, so you're likely getting at least one or the other when when you're taking Reynolds here in the eleventh. Um, he's likely a little underrated, I think, due to the supporting cast around him. Um, but I'm getting him here as the, I believe the 25th outfielder off the board. Um, and I think, you know, there's a kind of a safety element to picking Reynolds here and that he, he's probably, you know, a good bet to finish around that top 25, probably more of a floor pick. Um, but outfield in a different way from second and third is not that deep either. Um, there's just some absolute elite talent in the first few rounds, but, there does become a certain point where there's like a cliff. Um, you know, Reynolds, similar to the rest of my team, doesn't run a whole lot. Uh, he did have a career high of seven steals this year, um, but he does have 75th percentile sprint speed. Um, and that's not something I necessarily would use to extrapolate that, that more steals are on the way. Um, but maybe he's just one of those guys who's tempted by the new rules um, and, and can take advantage a little bit. Um, so Reynolds was someone I thought who, you know, wanting to fill my, get that third outfield spot filled up. Uh, I really liked, um, seeing him there, uh, in the 11th round. I mean, yeah, that makes, makes a lot of sense. And I like that what you're, the argument making about him being one of the more tempted, uh, players to steal. Um, yeah, 27 home runs, 62 RBI, 74 runs this past year, 262 average fell down for Brian Reynolds. Hopefully that comes back. I'm trying to see exactly what happened. I mean, it looked like he was more of a free swinger. 14% 11, uh, sorry, 14% swing striker versus the 11.6% in previous years for uh, for Brian Reynolds. Made less O contact. O swing was, I'm sorry, less, uh, more swings out of the zone. I can say things. I got it. No worries. Um, swung a little bit more just overall. But I... Uh, I think that's fine. Uh, that should probably get adjusted a little. I think the swing strike rate should come down slightly. Um, but uh, but yeah, Brian Reynolds is a safe pick here, and I get this a lot. I'm trying to I'm, I'm trying to figure out who I'd want instead, and not really. So as your third outfield in a 12 team, are you going to be happy with Brian Reynolds? You might be. Uh, he's getting close to that Toby point of outfielders, mm-hmm. right? Uh, close to it. Hopefully, the Pirates are better offensively. So that there's more guys to knock him in and guys to knock in. Uh, O'Neill Cruz, hopefully, and maybe they sign someone who's good for once. Um, it would be nice. Uh, it would be very nice. Pittsburgh deserves that. <laughs> I, But I like it. I mean, it's a, it's a good pick here. I don't really have any. This is the top outfielder on the board at this point. So solid stuff here in the 11th. Debatable seal of approval. Kind of like, all right, you know. I'm I'm cool. Eleventh round, Brian Reynolds. I think a lot of people are really happy. Yeah, silver approval. Anthony Rizzo, twelfth round. Uh, he might be a Yankee. He might not. He opted out of his contract. Uh, it does seem like Rizzo might be going back, or maybe not. We don't know at this point. It seems like it's just too good of a fit. But who knows? Maybe he'll wind up a Houston Astro or on on Chicago instead of uh, Jose Abreu, uh, just another side of the town. Uh, how do you feel about Anthony Rizzo? 
Yeah, he's a guy that I picked assuming he ends up with the Yankees, given their need for left-handed bats. Um, he's another guy who I, you know, another theme of my team here, uh, assuming he will benefit a little bit from the shift changes. Um, he's really sold out for power these last couple of years. Um, maybe he gets a little closer to being that balanced hitter. He was earlier in the career and Mm -hmm. the batting average looks, uh, you know, a little more tenable, uh, for, for a 12 team league. Um, I was skeptical of Rizzo entering this season, but you know, there's, nothing really to back this up, but it does look like he's been a bit rejuvenated since the move to Yankee stadium and the short porch. Um, I, I think this pick really made me realize if I can get one of those, say basically first baseman through Matt Olson, um, I'll really want to do so. Um, because after that, I just don't have a lot of strong opinions at first base and really just Mm -hmm. taking who falls to me, um, would have been really happy with like, say Christian Walker. Um, but kind of got to the point after Rowdy Telez was taken or I was like, I need to, to lock in my first baseman here. Right. And it, it came down between, uh, Rizzo and Reese Hoskins. Um, so I, I think if I, if I miss out on those say top five first baseman, I'll just sit back and, uh, you know, hope one falls to me at the right point. Sure. what about Ryan Mountcastle there? Yeah, I, I think Mountcastle's tough with, um, you know, playing in Baltimore with the, you know, the, the, yeah. with the left field being um, what it is. And it just, he seemed a little bit boomer bust. Um, and being in that park for uh, half the season is, you know, is not, yeah, I, I think the potential of playing in Camden versus Yankee Stadium, uh, I'll take Rizzo, you know, with the hopes he, he has that short porch uh, at his disposal. I know this is terrible. Um, I hear boomer bust and all I think of is like an old man's chest. <laughs> uh, and I'm so sorry for that joke, but that's just where my mind went. Um, the boomer bust. I uh, <laughs> Dustin May is the 13th round. And this is interesting because there is a crop of, uh, I keep saying that word crop, but like there's a grouping of former big names that are looking for a redemption season. Uh, Frankie Montes, Jack Flaherty, Lucas G leader are here. Tyler Malley, Charlie Morna is actually a little bit later and Kenta Maeda as well. Dustin May is the one that you're going for as it's still kind of a redemption. He's the youngest of the group or at least the least experienced. And are you thinking that Dustin May is going to soar in 2023 for the Dodgers? Yeah, I, I think that's what I'm banking on here. Um, but speaking about boomer bust, like this is the part of the draft where you want to take those upside sure, yeah. upside shots. Um, and what we saw out of May at the start of 2021 before he underwent Tommy John was pretty electric. So you know, really kind of shooting for the moon with this pick and seeing you know if he can get back to form there. Um, you know, I think I'm just mostly throwing out his stats from 2022 um just similar to glass now the hopes that that additional time post tj will get him back on track um and you know i I think it's a a bit of a fool's errand to try to project wins but he's pitching behind the dodgers and that's really never hurt uh any pitcher um so you know yes and no because sometimes they will limit how yeah the quick hook in, in in la I do wonder if they'll at first go four or five, but 
The Dodgers don't have as many options as it used to. Dodgeritis was a thing when they had like eight starters that mm-hmm. were rotating. It's not the case right now, especially if Kershaw leaves. It's Urias, it's May, it's Gonsolin. And then what? Um, so Dustin May may actually be a critical element of, of this Dodgers rotation. By the way, that's the second time I have said the word that sounds like their last name. Glass now, now, and Dustin May, May. <laughs> and I'm going to keep finding them just for everybody here. Uh, I got this. Don't worry. Um, hard contact, by the way, with Dustin May was 20.5% last year. If he qualified, he would have been 10th best in the majors there. But it didn't quite work. He had a really amazing stellar outing. Nine strikeouts, five innings. And his first start back against the Marlins, we thought, okay, this is what it's going to be. Did not eclipse five strikeouts for the rest of his six, uh, rest of his five games. He fell into a lot of trouble with the ERA. Uh, I I hope he's not so volatile. I mean, it's it's boomer bust, as you mentioned. Uh, but I'm curious what we'll get from Dustin May. Yeah, such a long time ago, but 34.5% CSW in 2021. Um, you know, there's a lot of risk with all of my pitching staff, but, uh, that was, it was tough to turn that down in the 13th. Yeah, I get that. Uh, Daniel Bard is your first closer. You finally got one. Uh, finally got one. I probably got the, the riskiest one with a a job there is. I, in hindsight, I would have just punted closer. Um, this is a head to head categories league. Um, if you get to the point where I, I think you're, in trouble in a category like saves, it probably just makes sense to um, wait until the very, very end of the draft and see see the closers that arise midseason. Um, but he did have a role safely secured, um, you know, and the, the Rockies, um, definitely one of the more traditionally minded organizations. So um, I don't anticipate them being ones who kind of mix and match closers unless Bard struggles. Uh, he did sign that two-year extension over the summer, so I, I think even more reason that he'll be given every opportunity to be the unquestioned ninth inning guy. Um, Thirty-four, thirty-seven, and save opportunities in you know a really a career year for uh, for a guy who's been thirty-seven and has had a pretty winding career journey. Um, he's still throwing ninety-eight. Uh, even at 37. Um, so I'm very skeptical about this pick, given his age, pitching half his games at Coors Field, um, a volatile profile in Coors Field. But um, it just felt like, you know, seeing the the unsettled closer situations after this pick, um, I, I felt like if I wanted a closer, now was the time to get one. Daniel Bard um, had an, ama- an amazing season. 179 ERA, 0.99 whip, 34 saves, and 60 innings for Colorado, which is astounding. He switched from four-seamers to sinkers, so about 12% sinker usage in 2021 for Bard, 49% this past year. The O-swing was the same, zone rate pretty much the same, strike rate was pretty much the same, the swing strike rate was still lacking, he got more called strikes with it, ground ball rate was the same, Fly ball rate went up a little bit, so fewer line drives. And its average went down about 180 points. Actually, over 200 from 382 to 167. But the hard contact was the same. Babbitt was 205. This is a a ground ball machine that you want to do in cores. It's a closer in cores. You want to get grounders. You don't want to get fly balls. You want to give yourself a chance to just that they ground it into the, the, the least... Uh, advantageous part of cores you want the batters to take right 
And that's all right. That that can work. Uh, slider was still ridiculously good. 35% CSW on it, 68% strike rate. Only 13% hard contact allowed is so good. Um, I kind of believe he can do it. I kind of, I kind of do. Sinker slider, I think, is the way to go. And yeah, this is kind of cool. So I'm giving you a seal of approval, believe it or not, um, for finding a closer that I think works in the 14th round. That that's how I I, I feel about it. I know it's so crazy and no one wants it because it's cores, but I feel like Bard has figured this out in many ways. Is he going to have a 167 uh, average in cores? No. Do the Rockies fail to uh, score a lot and win games? Yes. Eh, you, you see this all the time from bad teams having a solid closer and getting saves because they win by less game, less runs. Someone's going to have to come in. It's going to be Bard. So 25-30 saves in the 14th round? Yeah, seal of approval. Good stuff here, Anthony. So we're about halfway through your draft now. Mitch Hanniger was your fourth outfielder, maybe your util spot. What do you see for Mitch Hanniger in 2023? Yeah, um, Mitch Hanniger, another guy that health has kind of always been the question. Um, he'll be a free agent entering this year. Uh, so if he does leave Seattle, he may get a park upgrade. Um, you know, he, going back to 2021, he had 30, 39 homers. Um, he did hit 11 over 57 games in 2022, which is good for a 29 homer pace. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think he is an underrated power hitter that, doesn't necessarily get the recognition he deserves because he just hasn't been on the field enough. Um, I think he'll be a solid accumulator, uh, you know, wherever he goes, uh, especially in my Util spot uh, for a fantasy perspective, uh, you know, doesn't give me any speed, but I think he'll end up in the top half of a lineup. Um, 30% hard contact percentage, I think is a huge get after pick 170. Um you know, if this is where Hanniger is going in March, I think I'll definitely be drafting a lot of him. Um, you know, I think some of his injuries have been, you know, unpredictable and, you know, things that you wouldn't necessarily expect to happen again. So maybe we, we finally get this, this, um, you know, big year over uh, a kind of a full season workload for him. Uh, yeah, that, that makes sense to me. Uh, Mitch Hanniger, didn't obviously play as much as we want, 57 games, but still had 11 home runs in that time. 31 runs and 34 RBI. If you think about that as 2020 repeated, that's pretty good. <laughs> uh, so uh, hopefully that does work out for him. And when he did bat this year, it was in the middle of the Mariners order. And to get a consistent bat in the middle of an order um, on a good offense, that's production. Um, so Mitch Anker could work it out there in the 15th round. Yeah, you went for the boomer bust and you went for Grayson Rodriguez in the 16th. That's a fun one, Anthony. Yeah, yeah, this was a, was a fun one. Uh, I was happy to see him fall here. And I wasn't sure, given the the other pitchers on the board, that, you know, the really the consensus top pitching prospect in baseball would uh, be around at this point. And so wasn't going to expect him to be around much later. Um, I think at the point when he's announced as um, likely part of the Orioles opening day rotation, this will, this, you know, draft position will skyrocket. Uh, he's got a complete repertoire of pitches, scouting grades of 70 on his fastball slider and change up. So, you know, he does have that full repertoire. Um, and I, yeah, I think given his projection as a future front of the rotation guy, you know, I don't, you know, I'm not the prospect guy, so, you know, I can't speak confidently, but, you know, 
after what we've seen from George Kirby this past season, Alec Manoa the season before, you know, who's to say there's no reason, you know, he can't do something similar to what they've done. Um, and now given how friendly that left field in Baltimore is, uh, just one more perk uh, of, uh, you know, that, that he'll have uh, when he joins the big leagues. Sure, I get that. Uh, yeah, it's one of those things where you drafted him and you decide in March. Um, Grayson Marvick is going to be talked about a lot. The injury, of course, set him back a bit. I do wonder if Baltimore is going to be a little bit more uh, careful um, just to make sure everything is fine for a couple weeks or so for Grayson Rodriguez before giving him the call up. Um, but I, uh, yeah, you got to get a little bit excited about Grayson Rodriguez. He's highly tied for a while, and I am curious what kind of impact he'll make when he arrives. Uh, you have Jose Miranda, and uh, I wanted to make sure that I did the stutter thing again because I nailed it with an and uh. Um, <laughs> but uh, Jose Miranda for the Twins, uh, tell me about him. Yeah, really excited about this pick, actually. Um, he does. He will have dual eligibility next year um, at first and third. And these are, you know, two of the, I'd say, relatively shallow positions. First, you know, obviously third, but first as well to a degree. Um, was pretty streaky during his rookie year. But when it was all said and done, he has a strikeout rate below 20% and a 268 average. Uh, 15 homers in 125 games. So I, I think there's probably some potential for more power as he continues to get some big league, big league at bats and experience. Um, you know, I, I think the twins should have a strong lineup hopefully again this year. Um, and, and he should be sitting there right in the middle of it. Um, so a guy who hits the ball hard, uh, with a low strikeout rate is kind of one thing that I was searching for throughout the draft. Uh, so to get a guy, like I said, with that dual eligibility, with those attributes, I, I think is, um, what I was looking for here. Yeah, I, I think you should be going for Miranda in all leagues uh, at this point. Uh, he's an upside play, and I got to tell you, his IPA percentage, his ideal plate appearance, um, according to StackCast data, of players and burners and solid and barrel percentage that lead to good averages. He was 42nd in the majors. Uh, that's pretty startling for a rookie season for Jose Miranda. While he had a sub-20% strikeout rate, that's really good. So I'm I'm excited about that for fantasy purposes. It's also a little bit of a product of having only a 6% walk rate. But good. That's what you want for fantasy. Um, guys hitting the ball a lot more. And he's 50th in hard contact at 31%. It's an interesting case here. I think this is another seal of approval. I think you're going to see Miranda get a lot of good opportunities for the Twins. He was hitting leadoff uh, in September, um, which is kind of cool. And uh, there might be some sneaky stuff here with Miranda in the 17th round that I think a lot of people are going to want to go after. Um, seal of approval there. I think it's your last one, okay? Um, <laughs> don't get overflowing here. Don't think too much about it. But Mike Soroka's in the 18th, and this is just like Grayson Rodriguez. You're stashing a guy. You have no idea what the situation will be in March. But if Mike Soroka's in that rotation for Atlanta, it feels like a steal in the 18th. Yeah, haven't seen him since 2020, so really no idea what to expect here. So it's it's really a complete dart throw. Um, you know, my intent here was not for, you know, looking at Mike Soroka over all of next season, but I think if you draft him, you can see in those first couple starts what he looks like. Does he look like the pre-injury Soroka? And then you can make a decision, uh, you know, whether he's he stays on your roster or not. Um you know, so, you know, in the best case scenario, you get those, those solid ratios that he provided when he was at his best pre Achilles injury. 
Um, but you know, if it doesn't work out, it's that part in the draft where it's okay. And there's, you know, you can a little more freely, uh, go search the waiver wire. Um, you know, in hindsight, looking at the, the arms on my team might've looked for, um, some more consistent innings at this point in the draft because I I might be light there, um, or might've added someone, um, I I know like Anthony Rendon and Riley Green were still on the the board who I was also targeting around this point. Um, so might've went with a bat in here and, and saw what was left, um, you know, afterwards. But, um, I, I do think this is kind of the spot where you can take a, take a chance on a guy like Soroka who's already done it at the big league level. Yeah, no, I mean, this is it. This is the 18th round. You're taking your shots here and you don't want to settle for a Toby where you get something uh, it's fine, but that means that you're removed from getting something much better. Take a shot on Soroka. You'll make your early decision. That's a good thing. Uh, Jeff McNeil, uh, in the 19th round. Is this your second baseman? So Muncie is my second baseman. I see. Um, but, you know, I think McNeil is a little bit my my backup plan at second base if Muncie doesn't bounce back um, until I can find something a little more exciting. He is the NL batting champ. Uh, he is he'll 326 be a, <laughs> last year, first in all of the majors, actually. Yeah, so he'll be a decent source of runs scored. He's a, a standout in two categories. Uh, and if I can get that as my, you know, redundancy at second base in the 19th round. I, I think um, that that made me a little more okay with taking Muncie where I was uh, or where I did, I should say. Uh, he does have multi-eligibility, which is another uh, nice perk about McNeil. So I'll have second base and outfield entering next year. Um, it's a little bit of like safe, albeit boring production. Um, but I, I think given some of the shots I took earlier, it did make sense to try to shore some things up in uh, average and run scored. Sure. I got that completely. Um, All right. And uh, I mean, with Jeff McNeil, if you're falling behind heavily in average, yeah, maybe you do want to balance that out. Home runs, just nine stolen bases, just four 73 runs is good. It's not this massive thing, but if you need someone to plug in on a given day, I mean, you'll might good chance of a hit, good chance of a run. Um, not a bad platoon guy to have for those Mondays and Thursdays. Uh, Oswald Peraza was your next pick. This is an interesting one. Uh, how, what kind of foresight do you have on Peraza? <laughs> I mean, little foresight here, but just as a Yankees fan uh, and, you know, watching the games this year, pretty confident that they'll be going a different direction at shortstop next season. Um, and it, it very well could be Peraza, um, you know, Assuming they don't make a big splash in free agency at shortstop, um, I, I think he could be in play to be be that guy at, at opening day next year. Um, and I, I think whether it's Peraza or someone else, I, I think just generally speaking, I think this is like that the great time to take some shots on young guys who are unknown. Um, and my team is very short on stolen bases. Uh, so this doesn't solve it, but he's a young guy who may get the opportunity to start next year, and he stole 33, th- excuse me, 33 bases in the minors last year. Um, so maybe that um, helps solve that problem a little bit if he hits. Um, not expecting a ton of power, but he did pull the ball 50% of the time in AAA last season while getting the ball in the air. So maybe there is a, a sneaky little bit of power output with a few homers here and there. Um, but I think it was maybe less Peraza, but more of the theme of like the type of hitter I wanted at this point in the draft. No, I totally get that. Uh, yeah, we don't know what the Yankees are going to do. Maybe they move Peraza to second base. 
Uh, maybe it's Volpe instead. Maybe they go get someone else. But again, you'll make your decision early. I imagine if uh, he might be one of the first ones you drop um, next year, if, especially if they the Yankees go a different direction. Because uh, I imagine you don't really want to be holding on to Peraza no. on your bench. No, this is um, if he's named the starting shortstop and you just kind of is. see for a week or two. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, cool. Um, J.D. Martinez is up next. J.D. Martinez didn't have the most exciting season. 274 average, 76 runs, 16 home runs, 62 RBI, not a single stolen base. Um, but who knows where he's going to land and maybe he can return to form that he had in 2021 uh, where he had 92 runs, 99 RBI, and 28 home runs with the 286 average. This is just kind of a seeing where he lands and going from there. Is that right? Yeah, he's really the opposite of the Peraza pick in that not expecting a ton from him uh, you know, as a late-round flyer. But maybe he gets off to a hot start like he did last May where he hit 406 with 15 RBIs. I'm pretty skeptical about him given his hard hit percentage uh, was the same as it was in 2020 when, you know, we knew we we all saw how bad that season was for Martinez. Um, But I I think it'll be interesting to see where he goes. Uh, But I think regardless of where he goes, he probably ends up in, you know, an everyday uh, sort of position, assuming, you know, that's what he's looking for in the free agent market. So I, I think there's probably an expectation that you're getting a, a lot of volume from here. And that's probably tough to say, um, you know, I think we're in the 21st round now. So every day type of volume um, might be something to just take a flyer on here. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to go for it because I feel like Daniel Martinez gets worse. Uh, and there are some intriguing options kind of down here. But as far as offensively, there really are a few of them. Maybe Brian De La Cruz, I thought was pretty cool. Um, of, a, of a get but yeah really it's just dominated by relievers and starters at this point and uh 22nd round 23rd that's what you did with jose leclerc and nathan Evaldi. talk to me about leclerc yeah so obviously early in the offseason but as it stands today he's probably the closer to enter the year um but you know i say that understanding that they just hired bruce bochi they made a couple big splashes last year with seager and simeon so it wouldn't necessarily be surprising for the Rangers to go out and look for someone um, a little more um, established for the ninth inning role. Um, he did have seven saves last year. All of them came in the last month, month and a half of the season. Uh, so that's kind of where my assumption lies in that if they do have a closer to enter the season next year and it's not someone uh, outside of the organization currently, I, I think the ball likely goes to Leclerc. Um, but who this knows? Is, yeah. yeah, who knows at this point? It's the 22nd round. You're just trying to fish for something and you have any inkling that it could be the closer. Not a bad pick in the 22nd round. Yeah, I think four or five days into the season, you might know. Like, do you right. drop? Yeah, like it would drop or hold. So um, it gives you the flexibility of like the, the, the pool of undrafted players to see who gets off to a hot start in those first few days. And oh boy. So Nathan Ivaldi is your 23rd round pick. And despite the velocity dropping to about 94, Evaldi did not pitch poorly. He had, um, of his four of his last five starts, all came under two in runs. He had four in runs against the Royals, but even then had a 117 weapon and seven strikeouts in that game. Uh, do you kind of, I mean, this is across your fingers. If Evaldi has his velocity back, I mean, this can be an absolute steal in the 23rd round. Yep. This is a, like, let's see how he looks in spring training. Is the velocity back? If so, take a flyer. Um, we'll be also interested to see, I believe he's a free agent. Um, yes. 
So seeing where he lands um, in terms of um, his supporting cast and the ballpark behind him, um, that I, I think that'll inform a lot of how I feel about this pick in a couple months. Right. I mean, I love this because another situation, you will know the answer. Um, and looking at the other ones here, Byron Bale, Luis Patino, Ranger Suarez. I mean, Bailey over. I like Bailey over. Um, I took Sixto Sanchez, but Evaldi, I think I regret. I have not taken Evaldi. And then Mitch Keller uh, went after. I mean, Evaldi, guys, he was excellent. <laughs> when he had his velocity, he was really, really productive for your fantasy teams. Um, this is a seal of approval. You gotta, I gotta hand you this one. Um, good stuff. I'm gonna take one away though. I'm taking so, away. I'm taking away the barred one. I thought about that more. It's riskier. It's riskier than I wanted. <laughs> so you you don't get as many as you think. But yeah. still, no, I just, didn't sell that pick well enough for yeah, me. I didn't did. hype him up enough. I kind of I kind of took the contrarian argument against him. Um, but anyway, so, you understand. I love that one. Um, and that's that's your draft. That's all 23 rounds. Uh, on a scale of one to 23, one being the worst, 23 being the best. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about your team? 123. Um, I would say give myself a go to 17, 16 17. or 17. Yeah. Um, I, I think there are just at the, the, the front of my draft, there's a lot of safe hitters with a high floor um, who will just be four category steady performers for me throughout the year. Um, and I think, you know, that's really gave me some like opportunity to, um, you know, draft a, a little more heavily at, at pitcher in the mid rounds. Um, so really happy with the the start of the draft that I took, um, which is, I, I think, why I skew towards uh, a 17. All right. Yeah, I, I see that. Um, yeah, seems about right to me. I might, you know me, I probably want one more hitter uh, instead of Buxton and swapping like Wheeler for uh, for Javier and then getting in the third round something like you could see Michael Harris, you could see Semin or Albies, um, Xander Bogarts, uh, sorry, not Xander Bogarts, Luis Robert, um, something along those lines instead and then not getting Buxton, getting Javier instead in that seventh round. That's probably the swap I would have made. I think that makes your team a lot safer. Um, but I uh, Otherwise, I mean, yeah, pretty solid draft here, Anthony. And that's going to wrap up this mock draft uh, with Anthony Tucker. Anthony, remind everybody what you do and where they can find you. Yeah, I uh, write the two start pitcher articles during the season over at Pitcher List. And you can find me at on Twitter at Anthony Tucker 81. There you go. And of course, Anthony knows that the ease of finding two start value on the waiver wire um, <laughs> through the season Um, But that's going to do it. So on behalf of Anthony Tucker, my name is Nick Pollock, and we'll talk to you guys next week. 